Hello. Welcome to episode five of the Average Gamers podcast. This episode is coming to you hot off the press from the UK Games Expo. Lee and I've been there uh, with our friends Darren and Tom over the weekend, and we thought we'd jump right on it and give you some insight into what we saw over the couple of days we were there. We'll tell you about the games that we played, what we got up to, and uh, some of our shenanigans across the weekend. Anyway, on with the show. Like I, I, I guess we should just start by saying, saying like we were, we've been looking forward to this for like a good six to eight months, right? We've been planning this a long time. Yeah, I've been really looking forward. To it. Sorry if I sound really kind of bummed out. I've got kind of, I think it's a combination of hay fever and convention funk, convention flu, convention funk. Wow. <laughs> so like, I might, I might not be as animated as I am in every other episode, but <laughs> yes, it, we were really, really looking forward to it. Um, really excited to get there. We got there not that early, wasn't it, on Friday? No, I think we um, we arrived about 10 o'clock. Mm. And, um, yeah, I guess it, it took a good a half an hour to get in from uh, to- trips to the toilet and uh, grabbing some coffee. Yeah, true. Uh, picked up our tickets and then we made it in by about 10.30. I think it was, yeah, because I think we, we did a quick scout of the, uh, the main hall, had a quick look around the outside of it, and then... That took about maybe 20 minutes or so, wasn't it? And then we got our first game in just before 11. We went on Saturday last year, didn't we? So being there on the Friday was actually quite good because it's a lot less busy. I didn't notice it initially, but then the comparison between the Friday and the Saturday crowd was just, it was so much busier on the Saturday compared to Friday. Yeah, yeah, I, de- I definitely found that was the that was the same, really. Um, I was expecting, you know, when we arrived, I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be really, really busy. But it wasn't It wasn't as busy as last year's Saturday. Mm. Um, but seeing Saturday this year, I was like, oh, my God, too many people. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's, it's great that it's popular, but I, I'm always, I like places to be busy, but not over busy. And while it wasn't like wall-to-wall people, you could still move about, it was still quite busy busy which meant that it was a lot harder to get games in i think on the saturday oh yeah i think we definitely found that um you know we were trying to get i think there are three or four games that we wanted to get in on the saturday and we actually got i think we only got two in i actually didn't play i only played one game on the saturday in the end oh, I, did ended you? Up, I ended up watching wow. a couple of games because i had to sort of scoot off to go and visit a friend and show him around like for about an hour so i missed out on one of the games you played and then obviously the final game that everyone else played we didn't because we chipped off to go and watch shut up isn't it down yes we did yes mm. Um, so I, I guess for those for those of you listeners who don't know what the UK Games Expo is, it's probably is it the biggest um, games expo in in Europe? Would you um, say it's it's probably one of the biggest. It, I, I, I would hesitate to say it's the biggest. I could be wrong. Let's let's have a quick look on the old. Uh, let's let's use Bing today. I'm gonna. I feel dirty for using <laughs> Bing, but let's try it. Okay, UK Games Expo. So, it's the, apparently, uh, self-proclaimed, they tell us that it's the largest hobby games convention in the UK. There you go, self-proclaimed. We'll, we'll, t- we'll take that with a pinch of salt, but uh, but it, it definitely feels like it's the biggest uh, biggest convention that, that I've been to anyway, and I think you have as well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely bigger than, say, Salute, which is more war game centric but... That's probably the next biggest one I could think of, really. Yeah, so this is uh, this is held in the NEC in Birmingham. Yep, right in the smack bang in the Midlands. Yep. 
And it splits over three days. Or north, if you're us. <laughs> <laughs> it splits over three days. So you've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This year we went on Friday and Saturday. Um, we might be going all three days next week. Uh, I, next week. I next, think so. Uh, <laughs> next week. <laughs> next week, yeah. Bring back more games. Let's do we this. Could, we, could just, we could have just gone back today, to be honest. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> what, with all your gamer... Well, what did you call it? Gamer flu. <laughs> yeah, convention flu. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was like... It, it, it was so busy and um in a good way don't ever like i don't want people to misconstrue that us saying it was busy was a bad thing and far from it it's really really encouraging to see how busy it is you know how big it's grown just between last year and this year and by all accounts it's grown every year since it started 12 years ago and it, and it really is like a, a celebration of um all things gaming really you've mm. got everything from um board like, i think predominantly is is there for board games um but then you've got uh swathes of card games tabletop games RPG games it's it's all the games yeah. as it were um, RPG games that's like saying pin number <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry yes it, it is it covers pretty much the entire sort of gamut of uh, tabletop gaming in all shapes and forms you're flagging aren't you I can tell <laughs> I am I'm knackered mate I really am <laughs> Absolutely struggling. Are you sure you can do this, or should we do this another day? No, no, no. Let's do it. No, let's do it. We, the listeners must hear us. Yeah, come on. I'm good. Don't worry. Don't worry. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. yeah You're like good. No, no. I'm good. No, it was. It was really, really good. I'm. I'm. I'm drained, but I'm. I'm happy. Drained. I'm not like depressed. Drained. I'm just. <laughs> I'm feeling it after two days of walking around a show floor doing a lot of talking but yeah it's, it's been good it's been great I mean yeah so, so this year was definitely bigger than last year um, this year they'd expanded up to it looked like they'd expanded it out to about one and a half um, rooms for the main show area yeah um where they had all the trades so they have a bunch of trade stalls there where you can go demo new games you've got some space where um you can demo like indie games or kind of um i guess up and coming games that they don't actually have trade stands for Mm. um you've got uh, open gaming which is something new to us because we didn't see that last year we didn't pop along and have a look what it entails but i was surprised how popular the space was oh it was insanely popular wasn't it it was just like two they they have quite a large section of one of the I guess it's, it's the secondary hall that they have, which they kind of divide up into about three sections. So they've got the trade stands kind of area, which overflows from the previous hall. And then you've got the bring and buy, the tournament area. And then, yeah, they've got part of that is used for open gaming as well. And then, yeah, oh, they also use the uh, the Hilton, isn't it? Two of the conference rooms there. And that's th- those are pretty big conference rooms. And they just absolutely fill them with just row upon row of tables for people just to sit down and just play any game that they may have got with them whether they bought it at the expo or not and what i thought was crazy like i didn't realize this was you know the the main trade store area closes at six o'clock but the open gaming area stay open till like well the one in the main arena stays open till i think 10 11 o'clock at night oh, yeah. but the one in the hilton two o'clock in the morning i think i think they need it though because there were some people cracking out twilight imperium I mean, I was a bit jealous, to be honest. I was like, we missed out on Twilight Imperium a couple of weeks ago. True. Um, so seeing those people pull out Twilight Imperium. I bet all their tokens were all organised as well. 
I wish I could have been there. Wish I could have been there. But we'll, we'll need to get a game of that in sometime soon. But anyway, we digress. We digress. We need to talk about the expo, Lee. Come on. Indeed. So the expo. So what? What do we? What do we do? Or what do we play at the expo? I think because that's if you like, what did we do? We bought stuff and we played games. It's kind of obvious. So what, what did we play? Do you want to kick off with that one? Yeah, sure. So I guess let, let's start. What was the first game we played? The first game after walking around the kind of outskirts. I think we realised at this point that by the time we were in there, walked around all the kind of outskirts of the trade hall um we kind of realized it was like almost like midday and we're mm. like christ we haven't got a game in so we went i think we ended up at that point back at um it was czech games oh god what's the name of the this is this is how much research i've done here what are they called czech games it's got a g at the end i think or czech games oh this is dead air this is a crime Look at this. Czech Games Edition is the name of the board game publisher. That's whose stand we ended up at. So we ended up at Czech Games Edition stand um, and we sat down at a table and played a game of Adrenaline. Yes, we did. Uh, Adrenaline. Which you which you ended up buying. I did. I enjoyed it that much because I, I went with a uh, with no preconceptions about what I was going to buy this year. Last year was Imperial Assault focused and a couple of other bits and this year was just, nah, I'll just see what takes my fancy. First game we played... <laughs> I loved it so much that I picked it up. I had it was on my radar to be fair for a while. I think anyone of uh, anyone who's listened to the pilot episode may know that it was on my radar. I may have mentioned it in earlier episodes. Um so it's based on the kind of theme is that it's a uh, a deathmatch arena shooter, a bit like sort of your Quake or Unreal tournaments of back in the day. Uh, but it's actually more of a it's more of a Euro game, isn't it? So it's an odd one because normally Euro games don't tend to have much in the way of sort of player interaction or player elimination, whereas this one does to a degree. Mm, I guess I wouldn't. No, I think it's more Ameritrash than anything else. See, this is what I thought, but so many other people are saying that it's more of a Euro game. Really? A Euro game well, in an Amer- Ameritrash clothing, as it were. Mm, I'm not I'm not sure I'd put it, like, there's not enough, to- like, I guess you do have kind of cubes. <laughs> is it because, the reason you're saying that is because there's not, like, wooden, wooden meeples. <laughs> well, no, I just felt the game was quite, the, I, I guess people use the Ameritrash name to describe so i what i'm what i'm kind of getting to is the fact that it was very um it was very beer and pretzels like and that for me is quite an ameritrash game like yes very americanized like it takes you like 20 well not even really 20 minutes to play a whole round of the game yeah it's very very quick very quick um you know lots of fun people dying lots of laughing it's, it's there's no super depth to the strategy no and that's why i think it's more americanized gaming than euro game for me euro games take a bit longer than that um tend to involve you having a bit more in-depth kind of uh, strategic options within the game okay okay that's interesting i, I, I don't know that's my general kind of like uh breakdown of uh, ameritrash is kind of Euro games. But anyway, back to Adrenaline. Let's talk about it. What what was it? What is Adrenaline? I've already done that. Have you? Yes. <laughs> Literally what I started with. <laughs> did you cover did we talk about how it's like a video game? Yeah. Yeah, like Unreal Tournament and Quake. You sure you're not flagging? <laughs> yeah, I think maybe I am. So yeah, and, and, and the, the concept of the, of, the, of the game is you play as one of these characters, you're running around this kind of like um, very small enclosed space that only has maybe 12 to 20 spaces available between all players. Yeah, it's quite a small board. 
it's a small board and you're moving around and the object of the game is to blow the shit out of your opponents really isn't it <laughs> that's it it's very much like you said uh it's like quake unreal tournament where you're picking up weapons and you're just running at people trying to blow them up mm. um and get these kind of kills and what i liked I, I guess one of the mechanics i really liked was the kind of the incentive not to wail on one person but to spread yes. your damage over like everyone because that's the way you get more points in the game yeah yeah definitely it's it, and and also the kind of mechanic of like diminishing returns if one person keeps getting killed they're worth less and less points so it discourages somebody from picking on one person like to the at the exception of all others which I, I quite like you know it's never nice when you've got like a multiplayer game where one person is ganged up on by everyone else because that's just not fun for the the victim effectively so it's, it's good that they've they've actually spotted that quite early and put a mechanic in to kind of mitigate that so some some of the kind of yes and some of the core mechanics revolve around you kind of collecting these effectively they're like energy cubes aren't they yeah. which kind of power the weapons they let you reload or purchase weapons or spend abilities in the game and you have to kind of factor that in on top of also shooting your opponents and also purchasing new weapons um which is really interesting some of the breakdown of the weapons then you've got from what i from what i observed the yellow weapon cards tended to be more melee weapons you had your red weapons which are actually quite close quarters weapons so shotguns or flamers and then you had your long range weapons that were like rifles snipers that were blue christ you you learned more than i did i didn't even notice that i bloody bought the game as well And, and if you well the reason why I kind of bring that up is because it almost there is a bit of resource management in the game in terms of well if I go and t- purchase three blue weapons it's going to be a pain in the neck to try and reload all three of them but if I have a yellow weapon and a blue weapon I'm more likely to be able to kind of use all of the cubes that I've got available mm. um, and because there, there's like a resource limit of max three cube per type yes yeah three of each color so you can have a three yellow cubes three red cubes three blue cubes I mean, in, in general, may, maybe I'm making it sound more complex than it was, but it because in in all fairness, we got the gist of it and we got through the game in about twenty minutes. So uh. yeah, it's it's a really fast game. It's a nice one to sort of pull out when you just want something fairly light. I think so. I'm quite I'm quite happy with the uh, purchase of that. Yeah, no, no, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I was surprised that you, uh, yeah, I was surprised that you jumped on it so quickly. But you know, we all enjoyed our playthrough. Um, so yeah, that was no really really good first game. And then I guess after that we. We got hungry. We got the munchies. So we went to check out the food court. Oh, yeah. Yes, we had... Well, crikey, what did I have? I had a pulled pork burger because everyone was queuing for the burritos right next to this burger van. Uh, No, like a beef brisket pulled pork type place. Didn't even didn't even notice that these guys had no queues. I was like, well, screw that then. I'm not queuing for a burrito when I can have food now. But anyway, back to the games. Um, oh, no, come on. Look, what did I have for lunch? Oh, nobody cares what you had for lunch. All right, come on. Well, I had the same as you, I think, actually. <laughs> and then we grabbed a cheeky pint before we headed back. In did we fanny around that much? I thought we went straight to Legend of the Five Rings. No, because I think we went back to play Legend of the Five, Five Rings. I can't even remember. Anyway, Legend of the Five Rings. Anyway, on to the next game. (laughs) Yeah, so the next game we played, or I I should say we observed, and Tom and Darren played, was Legend of the Five Rings, which is Lee. It's an LCG, isn't it? I think so. I don't know, it's a fucking card game. I didn't really, I didn't give a shit at that point. (laughs) I was out. (laughs) I was gone. I was like, wow. (laughs) He's like, oh, it's a card game. I can't hear what he's discussing, but (laughs) these guys seem to know what they're doing, so I'm just going to watch and see what happens. Yeah, so, uh, well, Legend of the Five Rings is uh, Fantasy Flight's um, fantasy 
LCG. So I'd, it, if you put it in comparison, they've got a more science fiction based LCG, which is um, called Netrunner, which is all about hacking and kind of like set cyberpunk science fiction type environment. Legend of the Five Rings, great fantasy setting. It's all in kind of um, Asia. Um, and you've got these serv- seven warring clans that are like fighting over. I think the way he described it was it's like a battle of poetry. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I, I should probably clarify the reason is it's not because it's a card game. I do actually enjoy certain card games, but it was the proximity that we had. You can't class Shade Spire as a card game, Lee. It's definitely not a card game. No, I like I like Exploding Kittens. That's a card game, right? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the reason I was a bit more distracted is because it was it was right next to the X Wing tables, which I was kind of more interested in. Yeah, didn't you actually disappear off to play X Wing at that point? I did, but we'll come to that in a minute. Carry on talking. About Legend of the Five Rings. So I observed Tom and Darren play Legend of the Five Rings. So it's a um, yeah. The, the guy described it as like a, a a game where you battle over poetry. But I think that maybe of you know maybe it's a bit too loose of an analogy because I wonder if we misheard that. Yeah. Well, I guess ha- how it seemed to play was you got a bunch of like locations in front of you and you're trying to protect those locations from your opponent um and you do that kind of by playing your um playing your units down and committing to battles um and the more locations you win the more like favor you get and i think you're after a certain amount of favor or honor i think was the the actual terminology um but there's several different kind of resources that are going on in the game um and several like you you know you've got your standard style card game mechanics so your your resource management of playing the cards then you want you've got your kind of instant cards that you play during battle um a lot of it's all about attrition with the opponent um but you know what what i was what i liked about it it was i love the artwork like the kind of the the thought that's gone into the kind of the legend of the five rings uh, fantasy kind of hmm. um is really a, a nice pool it's got some really nice artwork actually yeah yeah really really nice artwork and that that would be the pool for me is um yeah the lovely fleshed out world that they've created mm. the one of the challenges i can i can see very quickly with the game is that you need to know what you're playing and you need to be confident with deck building um so it's not something you can just pick up and play casually i don't think um when i when i use the term casually like you can just buy the core set and pull that out you know once once every six months to give it a go i don't i don't think you get the value from the game mm. i think it's one of those that you you almost want to be able to play on a semi-regular basis you've got to invest haven't you into it you want to buy more of the deck booster packs and you kind of want to be able to build your kind of like something that suits your play style if that makes sense mm. yeah. yeah um but yeah you know the, i think the guys enjoyed it um we'll have to get their feedback when we see them next yeah yeah i think so that's probably a good idea so while you guys are doing that i uh took a little bit of a trip across the way as it were around the corner to uh get a demo of x-wing second edition um so x-wing for those not in the know is kind of a a space dogfight simulator you know in the vein well it is in star wars it's tiny little star wars models flying around on a table you uh dial in your maneuvers using a little maneuver dial which has a list of predefined sort of directions you can go in as it were uh, you place you, you choose it in secret you reveal it and then you execute the maneuver so you never know what your opponent's going to do until they do it which i really really like um the second edition is due to come out later this year it was announced i believe just after 
we published our previous episode. It might have been just before. It's probably just before knowing us. Um, so it's coming in September because the game's been out for about five years now and it's showing some considerable bloat and it's starting to creak a little bit. There's balance issues here and there. And they were in a bit of a design kind of corner they couldn't really get out of it without adding lots and lots of patches so this is like a wipe the slate clean kind of uh attempt as it were to start over with everything they've already got so that's like kind of less less of a band-aid more of a kind of reboot of the uh series call it a uh, yes to a degree more of a spit and polish though it's more like 1.5 than it is true second it's not like a an entirely new rule set it's a refinement of the existing rule set and, and a, a smart up okay so uh, I think the the one downside that I could say to it because I I actually I enjoyed the game I played you know I, I've been keeping up to date with what's coming you know from various articles and various news sources so I'd like to think I'm fairly in the know already of what's coming so this was only just basically to say I'd played it and see if there was anything else that maybe hadn't been picked up in those articles and I think the from what I played I enjoyed it I'm really looking forward to it coming out I'd say the one downside would be that the so Asmodee, uh, the sort of parent company of Fantasy Flight Games, that Asmodee own pretty much bloody everyone. They're like the Disney of the board game world. Wow, I, did, I didn't know that. <laughs> did you not know that? I, I'm no, going no. to send you some articles later and you'll, you'll, you'll see. So they obviously have vol- they either have volunteers or they have like, you know, event staff on, on hand. And we noticed it a couple of times over the weekend, but they're obviously, it's not, they're not sort of given a game very early, uh, very soon before the expo starts like i heard one guy he he literally read the rules that morning and then was demoing it to players that afternoon and it, it got to a point where the player on the table next to me like me had obviously kept up to date with things you know reading articles on fantasy flight and stuff and rules previews they've done and watched twi- twitch streams and things and he was more knowledgeable than the guy demoing the game because there was a wasn't a heated disagreement it wasn't like an argument but it was kind of like no this is what you can do and the the guy demoing it's like no no you this is all it says in my rules pamphlet here and the guy's like yeah but this, this is that's not how it is it's actually like this and the guy was like well where did you read that and i was like well on fantasy flight's website so i think the, the the downside i guess because they don't know their allocation style i mean it's not a tournament though is it it's like no i, I know but it was it was actually quite a big the the rule that is because what they're using i noticed they're using the quick start guide to demo the game and obviously quick start guides leave out a lot of the nuances of the rule which is you know from my understanding though this the demo games were there really to to get people who aren't familiar with the rules interested in it right so it wasn't it, they weren't set up to be like look this is this is an experienced player from x-wing coming in and i'm going to give you uh, a deep insight as to what the new rules do no it's not a masterclass by anything it's just, it is just there for flavor and i'm not i'm not, it didn't it doesn't put me off when that happens you know because i, I kind of get it I've, I've been at events before i've been a staff member at an event and you get thrown in at the last minute so i understand that kind of viewpoint but i, I know from the other side of the fence there will be there will be punters who will go along expecting it to be like a almost a master class and this guy is going to be completely knowledgeable on the game and that could sort of be a it's a bit of a double-edged sword it could mean that it, they lose out on a sale where they could potentially have had one so that's one thing i'd, I'd maybe like to i'd maybe hope that asmodee do in the future is maybe brief their staff a little bit earlier and say look look, this is the game you need to learn not not the day of the event because even a game we played a bit later another fantasy flight game was sort of plagued by the same issue and i felt for the guy because he was there was a couple of times we were asking him questions and it was like i don't know i i need to read the rules so it's like it's 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 a bit of a risk for them it's probably low risk but you know it's probably something that could be easily mitigated i'd say so anyway x-wing 2 
Xbox Second Edition. Really looking forward to it. One thing that, on the same subject, though, that interested me, so what Fantasy Flight are doing, because it's a new edition, from, from our world, where we came from, which was Miniature War Games, when a new edition gets announced, usually a lot of the accessories and such that are part and parcel of that game, so your rule books, your sort of expansion uh, source books, as it were, they, they basically become null and void because they're not compatible with the new rules a lot of the time. There's obviously exceptions, but the majority of the time that that rule is uh, that rule book now is basically firewood. So, what Fantasy Flight have done because of the number of changes, and they know that people out there do have quite large collections or will have some collections, rather than just say no, they're completely incompatible with the new system now chuck it away buy a new x-wing buy a new tie fire buy a new uh, i don't know imperial shuttle or whatever they are producing conversion kits which have basically are just full of cardboard components you know upgrade cards and the little things that go on the base of the ships to show the firing arcs they're selling those they're selling them in big bundles of i think it's going to translate about 35 quid each for each faction and you know you just buy that and then your existing collection is upgraded to second edition and for me i think that's a good thing but it's interesting to hear that there are other people out there that are not happy about that we actually the b&b we stayed at there were a couple of other guys at the breakfast table who also play x-wing and they were complete complete opposite opinion to me they were like oh no screw them i I don't care i don't want to give them any more money if they're going to do that to my collection and i just thought well you haven't played miniature war games but you know this isn't my first rodeo when it comes to an edition change so i'm i'm quite happy that they've even offered it i mean yeah i I think you're looking a gift horse in the mouth if you if you think otherwise but you know who am i to dictate someone else's opinion you know (laughs) yeah i think there's a couple of things there one is that it at face value, you could probably purchase a 35 quid set and the majority of the time, um, that's all you really need because mm. you're not going to be using that many miniatures. Yeah. So you can just use that conversion kit to roll over the stuff as and when you need it. Mm. But a lot of people who have invested a lot of money in the like extensive collections, maybe they're looking at it uh, looking at the expansion set and going Christ I'm going to need to purchase like three or four of these to get my whole collection up to date and that's where the cost scales up to like you know almost 150 quid to convert your stands over but then if they've got a massive collection they've already invested quite a lot of money so they've obviously got the funds to do it but that's it isn't it if I've invested that uh, that amount of money in it then I don't know yeah you, you are right there's there's definitely certain certain games out there within the war games community that's kind of expected you know mm. if you look at the changes even recently that uh, gw have done in terms of converting space marines over from 25 mil plastic bases to 32 mil plastic bases that's a big change yeah that was a reasonably big change yeah um but i didn't think they enforce it enforced it from day one um i don't even know if you have to i, I i'm not entirely sure i've not played uh 40k in quite a while so i don't know whether the rules enforce it or not but I get. I guess I can see why some people may be put off by by that. Just asking for more money without getting anything new out of it, really. I, I don't know. Like in terms of miniatures, but. well, they are and they are. If they want to, if they want to play, and that's the thing, you don't need to buy those new expansions. Uh, those sorry, those conversion kits because the first game's not going anywhere. If you want to keep playing the first game casually at home with your mates, then just do that and don't spend any extra money. But I think if you've if you've taken the money to you know amass a big collection 
it's quite a big investment so it's not going to cost you that much more to convert it and make it all second edition compatible as it were I, I just think it's a, a bit of a not unreasonable attitude but uh, I, I just think you know they're, they're silly to not realise that it's a good thing that Fantasy Flight just didn't say no you know what screw you guys we want you to rebuy your entire collection it's like no here's an olive branch just just buy this little pack of cardboard that's way cheaper and you're covered so that, that's that's my kind of viewpoint anyway obviously there will be people who disagree with me and that's that's fine but back to the demo game did you enjoy it yes yes i did enjoy the demo game i played as the imperials i had a pair of tie fighters uh which were in the usual kind of uh starter set kind of balance issues were tooled up to the nines which you wouldn't normally do with a tie fighter <laughs> so i had a couple of heavily upgraded tie fighters against luke skywalker in an x-wing and after several turns i was able to take the x-wing down nice so can an update for you all guys luke skywalker died way before he did in the last jedi <laughs> <laughs> you know in all fairness the couple of times i kind of poked my head around the corner to see you playing there were several people watching you at the stand at the same time maybe in awe that you've managed to survive so long with a couple of tie fighters but uh possibly i'm not sure <laughs> in general you seem to be quite good at your your maneuverability in the game how did you find the new dials actually uh they are a lot better they're, they're slightly confusing in one aspect in the so the current dials are the they're made up of two pieces of cardboard with a little plastic kind of connector that allows you to spin them and it has a little window and one edge uh, one side of it which you can see your chosen maneuver in the new dials are double-sided still but instead of having a window this one side is slightly bigger than the other so you've got on the back of it you've got an arrow that points to the maneuver you want and you spin it to line up with the arrow and then place it face down you can't see there is also though a notch cut out of the larger side to for some unknown reason i'm not sure what it might be to do with the way the name of the ship is printed on it but it means that you kind of for me i was picking up the dial and looking at it upside down expecting the the cutaway bit to be the top where you line up your maneuver because that's how it is in first edition albeit on the other piece of cardboard so a few times i picked up the dial tried to set a maneuver and gone oh wait it's upside down but it's a minor thing it's it's going to be you know I'll, I'll have forgotten about the old dials within you know a couple of months of the new game releasing so that's the only downside to the new dials but the upside is you can see all of your maneuvers right there and then without having to thumb through it and spin around the whole dial each turn just to see what maneuvers you've got available oh that's quite handy so that was good um it's, it's not really a great deal i mean like i said it's there's no there's a f new mechanic in that you know certain force sensitive pilots can use the force to do certain things uh you know whether that be change a dice result or trigger certain abilities also things like ordnance so torpedoes and that now have charges rather than just being one use you can use it a couple of times and sometimes you've got abilities that allow you to reload and regain those charges so ordnance becomes a bit more sort of uh roulette-esque i guess you know it's like you could you could choose to discard this card fire off your torpedoes and do absolutely nothing whereas at least this way you get a couple of extra chances so anyway, it all sounds good all sounds positive yes it is yeah def i'm definitely very positive i'm really really looking forward to it and i am going to basically hand my account details over to fantasy flight come september and say just send me one of everything <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell the wife she'll find out anyway yes of course she will when, when all these x-wings and things start showing up at our house and i need to like you know knock a wall down to fit <laughs> in a new shelf or something then yeah she'll realize so um yeah what else did we play um so we played that uh, arena game which i've looked up so it was called arena for the gods there you go i knew it had arena in the title somewhere so it was least favorite so uh cardboard standees <laughs> wincing uh, it's a very simple game um each of you plays as a god um 
no special abilities, just generic god. Um, and what you do at the start of the game, you start with 20 life points and there's like a bidding system to bid on um, how many life points you want to wager to get like the weapons and the armor and the like the steed and the there's something else as well in there. Was it an ability or something? It was like weapon, armor, mount, and then magic maybe or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Or like power ability or something like that. So, so you've been on four different cards everyone gets to have one of those cards but it's based on like the amount of points you bid is how which order you go in so if i put three life points in and i bid the highest i get the first pick of those cards Mm. then you go second third fourth and then you redraft the next four cards for defense and then the next four cards for uh, like the super ability and things like that and you just Mm. you just go through it that way stick your cardboard standy in arena and just hit each other until one of you dies is essentially how the game works yeah Um, Yeah, you well so the mechanic of that is that you don't have a set number of actions what you do is you have a pool of seven dice at uh, the start of your turn you roll those seven dice and they all have different symbols on and then each ability or each action that you can do needs x number of symbols on those dice so you you effectively allocate those dice to certain symbols until you run out of dice to allocate and then that's your turn out turn over <laughs> yeah and and that was um i mean i think you you would have probably bought into it much more if it was miniatures right rather than standees possibly yes i mean i get why it's standees it keeps the, the cost of the game down um it actually the, the look of the game didn't look too bad because that, you had like those kind of well not paper craft but like folding cardboard little spiky towers to represent like the edges of the arena or certain like obstacles which you know, it was, was quite nice looking. I mean, obviously, yeah, I would have preferred a miniature, but not always the case. But what did you think of the game? It, uh, I, it, it was it was average. Like, it's not one of those I don't think I... I don't think I'd go out and play it uh, or buy it again. But if I had younger... If I had kids, if I had kids yeah. that were interested in kind of getting into war games and board games, that's like a really great entry level game. There's there's hmm. hardly any complexity to it. And, you know, it's one of those that it's so simple to get the hang of and it's so quick that there's no like, oh you're losing, oh you're gonna lose for the next like forty five minutes. It's just it's over. Um, and it gets everyone involved and you're having a bit of a laugh about it because you're all attacking everyone at the same time. So yeah, and, and I think it the dice translate really well as as well. Like you're just hitting someone for this damage. You're not like rolling to hit and trying to figure out what you're trying to hit them with. It's like I need two swords to do this certain ability and that's it. It just does the damage or hmm. lets you do the thing. So you know, it was it was average. I probably wouldn't purchase it, but if someone had young kids that wanted to get into board games or war games and like that kind of theme, then it's a great purchase. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd say if you, if you want a gateway game for your, your you know your younger child, then that's that's probably a good one to go with. You know, it's colourful enough that I think it would appeal to them. It's easy enough to to learn, easy enough to teach, and you know what what kid doesn't love rolling dice at the end of the day. I think Tom got wailed on a bit too hard on that one. I think he felt a bit sad by the end of it. <laughs> did, he, did he really? I, I, I didn't notice. I was like, no, I must crush him. <laughs> <laughs> when you fly, what were you flying around on? Was it, oh no, I, I had Pegasus. I had like, I had like Cupid's bow, Pegasus. And like, I don't know, like I think you guys tried to screw me over by giving me the most pansiest um, equipment ever. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I can't remember what I, had. I think I just had. I didn't have a steed as such. I had just like a movement mode. I think it was just like I could I could like leap through the air. Maybe it was like Achilles, uh, not Achilles. What was it? Apollo's slippers. <laughs> so you had some slippers, not akin to what you wear on a regular basis, anyway, Lee. <laughs> it wasn't the uh, winged sandals, but it was something like that. You know, it enabled me to move further. 
Is it the Boots of Heracles or? No, no, it wasn't an actual item. It was just a movement mode, whether it meant that he could just jump further or something. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. So that evening then, because we kind of, by that point, it was the end of the day. I couldn't believe how quickly that day went. Well, I think we, we, we then spent the rest of the, the afternoon just going shopping, didn't we? We went around a bunch of the trade stands. We picked up some bits. You picked up adrenaline. Yeah, that was, I, I mulled that over. And then somebody pointed out to me that Star Saga, uh, the troll trader TT Combat, had Star Saga on sale for 50% off. And I know I'd sort of pledged to myself that I wasn't going to get another dungeon crawler, but I had played Star Saga a few months back and I actually did enjoy it. And it's a bit simpler than Imperial Assault. There's not as many kind of chaining abilities. It's more generic sci-fi, similar kind of style. And, you know, you've got a campaign book full of missions that lead one to the other. But I just, I just thought, you know, it's quite fun. The models are pretty decent. It's, it's got multi-use. I can use it in my RPGs and things like that. So I thought for 30 quid, you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go for 50% off RRP. It's an incredible deal. I'd be stupid not to. I would have regretted it if I had not done that. Buy all the dungeon crawlers. <laughs> Indeed, that's, that is life's aim. Life's ultimate aim is to buy every dungeon crawler in existence. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, so I picked that up anyway. Yeah, And then we, we headed over to the open gaming, didn't we, after the main hall? shot uh yes we did did we go over there first or did we go for we had dinner oh we went for dinner first yeah we did have dinner first yeah we went for dinner we did go out for something to eat we had we went for, to gbk actually i didn't realize how big that kind of complex it's like a whole leisure complex that's right next to the nec yeah yes yeah, casino type thing isn't it yeah it's not the sea oh next to the nec sorry i thought you said next to the sea there next to the sea there's no sea in birmingham that was a lake <laughs> well no you saw aquaman that's where he came from <laughs> <laughs> very true so anyway yeah went over to the open gaming section uh pitched ourselves up a table in what was when we first saw the open gaming section it was empty there were about 10 people in there and then when we went back after dinner it was heaving there were very very few spaces in that hall but we managed to find one we cracked out adrenaline quickly and then we met a couple of the guys who were volunteering on the friday who were then running the infinity tournament on the saturday and they joined us for a game of gaslands which is a it's a relatively new new release from osprey publishing it's basically a kind of mad max death race 2000 style of car combat game if you if you're not familiar with either of those two then you know think uh twisted metal the old playstation game where it's like a demolition derby but it's in a bit of a dystopian kind of future where everyone's welded stuff to their cars like you know spikes and machine guns and all this kind of stuff and it's i initially like, i know a couple of the guys were a bit like oh really you play it with like hot wheels cars what is this a kid's game and i was like no no come on let's give it a go and you know i'd, I'd read that it's fairly light you know osprey the, the osprey rules that i've read are never particularly heavy they're, they're, they've maybe got some depth to them but i kind of felt that this i did enjoy it but I just wonder if it's gone a little bit too overcomplicated in certain places. It did tend to, yeah, I felt like almost um, you spent quite a lot of time on each person's turn trying to figure out what had happened and everything seems to snowball because someone chooses a template that ends up like hitting someone else in the rear they then go flying into someone else and it hits them and then they go flying up like it just seemed to, it tends to it seemed like it went on and on and you spent a lot of time just getting through one person's turn yeah yeah which i kind of thought you know for a game that's meant to simulate car i mean i guess we were being shown it in a now in a noisy hall maybe maybe that's maybe that's partly what's lent to it you know we're all pretty tired maybe none of us are really concentrating but looking at everyone around the table we were all even the guys who were just like oh i'm not really into it 
everyone was smiling and laughing when stuff was happening. So <laughs> that's got to be a good sign, right? That can't be a bad sign. I just wonder if the game needs, to, maybe the rules need to be a bit more streamlined. I'm I'm going to be getting a, another demo of it fairly soon from another friend who's got the rules. Oh, fair enough. I, I mean, for, yeah, for me, I thought it was... Um... <sighs> Yeah, maybe it was just the fact that we were playing it. We're all flagging towards the end of the day and we were like, oh, okay, fine. And we had to also disappear to book into our hotel. Yeah, true. I was conscious of the time actually at that point. But yeah, I, I thought it was funny. You know, I, I, it, might, it might be a bit too convoluted in certain areas, but it was good. I'll play it again. <laughs> and then what was the final game we played on Friday? So the final game we played on Friday was called Kodama. <laughs> or as you've put in our show notes, the tree game. <laughs> Well, show notes, what are those? This is all off the cuff, my friend. Oh, yeah, rubbish. <laughs> um, yeah, so we played a game called uh, Kadama. It's uh, like a really nice light party game where you are playing, well, you're trying to grow a tree, effectively, um, to score points. And you've, uh, like, it's, it's a fairly light game. You're putting, I think you've got no more than like 15 actions each in the entire game. And what you do is you look at a set of four cards that are available for you. You choose one of them and then you add it to your tree. You've got to position it on your tree trunk and you're kind of growing out from that spot. You can grow different branches, add to those branches to score more points. And you're looking for kind of specific features on the on the tree branches that you're growing. So it might be that you're trying to, the way in which you score points is by getting like caterpillars, I think they were. We, we called them worms at one point. We just go, oh, look, look at those worms on that tree. Um, <laughs> but actually we just grow like caterpillars or mushrooms or flowers. Um, and you're trying to score points based on the amount of features that follow that trend on the following branches. Yeah, it's got to be like an unbroken chain of them to score you points. Each card you lay. So if I if I've already got a tree trunk and a card attached to it that has two caterpillars on it, and then I play another card which has a caterpillar and a firefly on it, I only score the I count the number of caterpillars that are an unbroken line. Yes. Yeah. So in that case, three. But if I'd played one that had no caterpillars on it, I wouldn't score any points when I attach it to the other branches. It's one of those you've got to kind of work out if you can build up a long chain and then score it big a couple of turns later or you just go for lots of little scores initially, I think, isn't it? That's kind of the... Yeah, and, and there's, um, I think, where where the game's kind of won or lost is really each player has kind of four end-of-season cards um, and you play those at the end of each, funnily enough, season um, and you score much more points in that way I think that's where most of the points came from in the game um, although you managed to get some ridiculous looking branches at some point just like shooting up I think you had like five or six cards in a row at one point it was ridiculous I mean we were trying to play it on the sort of one of the double beds in the room and it was like I think you need a hard solid flat table that's not going to move around but yeah I had this ridiculously long branch with about like you know eight or nine caterpillars on it or something stupid <laughs> Um, but it was, it was, you know, it's it a really fun game. I think it's one of those that I could easily play with people who um, probably aren't that into card games or board games. Mm. Um, and I think they still get the theme. Yeah, I'm actually quite tempted to pick up a copy as well. So yeah, that that kind of that that was the, that was the game that we kind of finished the evening on, right? Um, yeah, that was that was that was our last one before we all hit the hay because we were knackered. And then um, and thus begin thus thus begun day two. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Indeed, day two after a lovely breakfast in the B and B, which was good. Yeah, um, we headed back in. I think we got in about ten o'clock in the end. Yeah, so we weren't sort of rushing. I, I think going there on the the extra day allowed us to kind of just take our time and not have to feel that we had to get there at silly o'clock in the morning. Yes, yeah. 
I think I don't know, I don't know how you feel about that, but no, no, no. I definitely agree with you, and I think um, in hindsight, we we all agreed that actually we felt we want to kind of get a hotel a bit closer next year just so we can stay out yeah definitely yeah it means that we're not like because this year i had to stay sober because i had to drive us to the b&b although it was only a couple of miles <laughs> i just wanted to drink beer well yeah i, I you know i if, if everyone else is drinking i i like to i've been i've been the designated driver for many many years as a lot of my friends will know but now and again yeah i do like to just have a beer with my friends as well i think a lot of the time as well though you are the designated driver because it's either designate you as the driver or have you as the co-pilot for the entire journey so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a reference there to my uh rather infamous uh backseat driving yeah i guess <laughs> well <laughs> i can't deny it. i can't deny it <laughs> yeah i know that's definitely one you can't deny yeah. <laughs> um and the other thing is that oh we realized that if you're closer you can have you can just bring your own beers into the open gaming hall rather than having to spend like six pound on a pint which was nice but still a bit too pricey for my liking if it, it soon adds up i mean we were paying what about eight pounds each for lunch on two days that's 16 pounds which is you know you can buy kadama for for less than that <laughs> comparison of food food needs to gaming needs yeah food prices about half a box of kadama <laughs> by this by this lunch um yeah so we i, I think we all want to stay a bit closer next year if we can get a reasonably priced hotel which would be good um but we definitely went into day two i think feeling like we knew what we wanted to play like now we'd walk around the show we've seen some things some of the stands were a bit busy on the first day we've seen some things man we've seen too many things <laughs> um so we went in uh, i think the first place we wanted to go to was the um the to, to try out fallout the fantasy flight board game yeah we went back to fantasy flight we are all slaves to the great machine that is fantasy flight i think that juggernaut in, in one shape or form i think uh, darren and i have definitely got the uh, arkham horror bug um and you've got obviously the star wars I mean, you you guys have gone you guys have gone into that like I did to Shadespire. Like you, I'm guessing you've had to buy about thirty quids worth of sleeves, like I had to. Well, I I, uh, I think I bought penny sleeves last time, but I. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> but the problem I know I know I'm I'm kind of regretting it actually. I'm looking at it now and going, maybe I should just upgrade to those nice Ultra Pro Matte clear ones. Oh, they're so nice. I, I it's oh god. I've, I've no that that that's something I don't even want to talk about. No, not just going to talk about sleeves. You spent I reckon you spent about. 40 quid on them. I spent far too much on fucking card sleeves sleeves for cards like you know two three years ago I've gone sleeves for cards you fucking weirdo <laughs> Uh, what's the point just like it's a card man and now i'm just like no it's gotta have a sleeve on it if it hasn't got a sleeve what if somebody spills orange juice man think of the orange juice in fact i think you buy your sleeves before you buy the cards isn't it (laughs) i'm surprised you don't actually double sleeve no no (laughs) don't even no i'm trying to ignore that that's even a thing you don't fancy doing like a penny sleeve like a precise fit into a standard fit yeah no i know i'm aware of i'm aware of the whole double sleeving thing i'm just trying not to think about that because if i see it i'll probably want to do it so i'm just trying to forget that that even exists but what happens if someone spills some orange juice in the top loader of your sleeve then i will murder them (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, that's why you ban drinks like upstairs in your house. <laughs> no, I haven't banned them. No, they're just, just kind of not on the table. I'm joking. <laughs> not on the table. And actually, that's not even me that instilled that. That's another friend of ours um, that was like, because he, he doesn't always sleeve his stuff. And he's like, I know how flimsy your, your gaming table is, Lee. One, one wrong knock and everything goes tidal wave. <laughs> so can we maybe just put your, put drinks on the windowsill? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But, you know. Just get a sturdier table. Not my rule. Not my rule, despite it being my house. But I'm happy with that role. oh we digress we digress but yes, yeah we have. Darren and I definitely bought a lot of Arkham Horror this weekend hmm. um, I went in for the second set I think in the series so um, Pato Corcosa and Darren bought basically the entire expansion set for Dunwich Legacy um, which would be good to play through we've definitely got a lot more deck building options available now so that should be good fun uh, to play but yeah uh, we digress completely from where we were talking about which was we went straight back to the fantasy flight games area and um wanted to get in on fallout yes yeah the the new fallout game which um how, what kind of game would you describe that as i i, I i'm struggling to put a, a label on it as it were an average post-apocalyptic something game adventure game yeah you weren't too into it were you no i just do you know what i've always maybe this is me i've always preferred skyrim to fallout anyway okay um in terms of like if you look at the video game that's inspired the board game I've always preferred the the Skyrim, the kind of Elder Scrolls universe to the Fallout universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just didn't, I don't, I'm not inspired about ins- like exploring a wasteland. It doesn't really appeal to me, you know, send me into a dungeon to find some like dwarven like gold or kind of like a chest or a massive weapon. Great. Looting some kind of like broken robot in a wasteland to get some ridiculous looking gun that's fallen apart it's not you know my idea of fun post-apocalyptic's an odd one it doesn't really do it for me either like the one thing they've always delivered on with fallout is the soundtrack but apart from that i've always thought the the gaming experience in general is a bit lackluster and that's kind of how i walked away from this board game to be honest which is interesting because we all looked at it and went actually it looks really nice when you're looking at it on the table like visually looks great um and it's kind of got that territory exploration element to it yeah Um, and you've all got secret objectives it's it's a kind of it's a bit of it feels just like it's a bit of a couple of other games that do it slightly better so there's like a mechanic in it that's kind of um you go exploring you pick up a card and read kind of the the kind of the the fluff of that the story that's happened when you go exploring and then you kind of roll some dice and see if you pass or fail uh, I've, that that mechanic comes directly f- from, from my experience from their um, Arkham Horror, Eldritch Horror games. Okay. So the, the the board game where you kind of you, you go to a certain location in the world, you explore, you read out the text, you do something, um, and it shows you a pass or fail. So it's kind of cut cut and paste mechanics from several other of their games, and I just didn't feel like it really gelled. Does, does it feel like a bit of a yeah sort of a quick cobble together kind of game? game system than say some of fantasy flight's other stuff then yeah i think so like in terms of obviously i've got eldritch horror so everyone's working together and that's what the player interaction is so you're kind of if i go over to this place in the world and do this adventure you can go and do this one fallout 
there were there were five of us playing this, right? Uh, well, it's four, it's four, isn't it? But like uh, a couple of our guys had sort of banded together to play one character, hadn't they? There was just no player interaction. I just didn't feel like we were ha- playing a board game together. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can agree with that. There was next to no player interaction. I think it was more. It almost feels like it's meant to be a co-op game, like. But it was, you, you can still, you have a win condition over your, uh, for want of a better word, allies. But like, it wasn't like, yeah, we're trying to stop everything on the map together. It was just like, well, I'm trying to do this objective. And if I do that, I'll win. And I don't really give a shit what you guys are doing. Because I don't think I can affect you in any way, shape or form. I don't even think I can try and stop you. Um, the, the So the reason that two of our guys were actually kind of uh, piggybacking one character is because we there was another guy who wanted to get a demo in alongside us and I, I no idea who he was but he um he was really quite an uh a big fallout fan he was he was loving it and i, I wonder if some of that was sort of it was a bit infectious because i was actually quite enjoying it even though there wasn't any player interaction just kind of seeing the story unfold a bit was like i was kind of enjoying that although i'm not a big fallout fan like the the storyline that was being revealed on these cards was actually quite intriguing so I wonder if it's the kind of atmosphere as well, like being trying to play it in a big convention hall with a lot of extra noise around it kind of it's harder to get into it, if that makes sense. Maybe it, that might have been a reason why. Yeah, yeah, I can appreciate that. I think that's a valid point. Um, um, I guess ultimately, when you're looking at these board games, especially ones around the £50 price tag, you have to weigh up. Am I going to get that much for playability out of it? And is it is it going to catch my interest enough that if I've got all these other games in my collection, I'm going to want to play it on a regular basis. Yeah. Am I going to want to play this again after I've played it the first time? Kind of thing? Yeah, I get that. I get that. And that and that's kind of what draws me to say, um, unfortunately, this one has been a bit of an average release for Fantasy Flight games. Mm, okay. Interesting. What about yourself? So you, you kind of enjoyed the the kind of narrative in general. Yeah. I'm I'm more of a narrative gamer anyway, so that, that bit was intriguing. The <laughs> I, I I think you'd love Arkham Horror, honestly. I think we need to get you in on this because the whole the whole narrative experience is great with that. No miniatures though. Zero miniatures. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to you'll have to give me a demo of it but going back to Fallout for a second I I would probably like to try it again in a more uh, not friendly environment you know what I mean like in, in a more an environment where I can really like evaluate it I, I was finding it quite hard to evaluate just because it was so loud and it was a bit stilted because as I mentioned earlier the, the, the guy who was demoing it to us had only found out that morning what he was demoing so he'd had he'd had about 45 minutes of extra time over us to read the rule book so you know we were asking him questions he's like i don't know i need to check so maybe that's soured not soured the experience but it's it's harder to get a a feel for a game i find when it gets to that degree like when on a as a counterpoint when adrenaline was demoed to us the guy knew the game pretty much inside out you know and i think it was maybe one time he had to look at the rule book and so the, the the experience of that really kind of meant that it didn't still make the experience quite stilted whereas obviously if you keep stopping to look at a rule book bit harder to get into maybe yeah i mean maybe what we can do is then go on to talk about what so our next game that we played a demo of or like i don't think you did but the uh, myself tom and darren did was star trek ascendancy so the reason we'll move on to this is because we can talk about that kind of demo experience which i think kind of like rolls into this quite nicely yeah because i did see the preamble of this demo so actually yeah so yeah we we i think we so the three of us so tom uh no tom wasn't there last year so myself lee and darren we went to see this uh well at the at the expo last year we saw star trek ascendancy we wanted to get 
to get a demo game in, but I don't think we had the opportunity. Gale Force 9 were back there again this year. Is it Gale Force 9? That- yeah, Gale Force 9, you're right, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Gale Force 9 were there um, with the same demo going. So we so we made, made, made time for it this year. I think as well it helped that Tom's a massive Star Trek fan, secret closet Star Trek fan. But Is he really? I had no idea. Massive Trekkie. <laughs> I think he's got like several outfits in his closet. He, he, he doesn't have outfits in his closet. I'm making that up. <laughs> He's probably tried to dress his dog up at one point, but, you know, I don't think Sophie would let him do that. Uh, um, so, yeah, being a big Trekkie, we're like, OK, so let's give this a go. Um, and and again, I think it came out at the same time that I was going, I'd love to get a kind of a space combat-y game. I went for Twilight Imperium in the end because the fourth edition got announced. Mm. But, um, yeah, we wanted to play it this year. We gave it a go. And the reason why I think it worked was because it's there's a lot of complex rules in this game. Um but the guy who demoed it to us distilled it down into this is kind of an overview of the game this is how it plays let's do a bit of exploring I'll explain how shit combat works and he was kind of he wasn't making us play through full turns of the game he was like cutting to the segments that would show you the core mechanics Mm -hmm. and that you know it gave us a really good insight in probably only half an hour gave us really good insight as to how the game plays out Hmm. Um, and he did it in such a good way that you know Tom jumped on it. He's like, "Yeah, I really want to pick up this game." So he ended up put, make, making the purchase. But I felt like maybe he'd done quite a lot of deming, or maybe he played a lot of the game to know how to do that, how to break it down into those core sections. The guy certainly knew his stuff, actually, from from what I saw in the in the kind of preamble before you guys sat down because I had to head off to meet a friend. The yeah, he, it was a I don't want to say used car salesman, but it was kind of he had that kind of he knew what he was doing you know he wasn't new at this this wasn't his first time demoing games and this wasn't his first rodeo <laughs> yeah but you know he did a good job and you know obviously he got he made a sale out of it although you know that's ultimately the aim it's like it just kind of felt that it didn't feel like he was tom wasn't pushed into that at all like tom enjoyed it enough to that he thought yeah you know i'm gonna buy it so that's, that's a good thing you know yeah and i think that's where i mean this this was maybe the issue that um um they had on the fantasy flight games um st- stands mm-hmm. is that the people that they get in to do the demos they're so fresh off the kind of like um factory chain that they're like oh, okay this is the game you're going to demo today read the rule book and quickly flip through it and the games that we played they were they weren't distilled down into these are what the core mechanics were because they didn't know the core mechanics. They kind of like basically started walking you through through the first two or three turns of the game. Yeah. And as a result, you kind of like, it's got such a slow pace to it and it doesn't really get you excited about the things that make the game really shine. Yeah. And I think that's where when we played Adrenaline or we played like Star Trek Ascendancy, we had enough of that in it to be like, wow, wanna, we want to jump on this. And those are the two demos we both all, both like people within the group bought the game afterwards. Hmm. Yeah, that's true, actually. Very, very true. So how does it kind of play then? Give me, give me a real kind of broad overview, first of all. Okay, so rather than so, what's interesting is you so you play as one faction each player, um, and it's very much about that kind of um, ex- space exploration and um, diplomacy. So what you tend to do is you roll this dice to show you how many how far you can explore. You take like a warp token that you place randomly on the board, randomly off your home planet, and then you pick an unexplored world and put that down. You then travel to that unexplored world, play a card to show you the random event that happens Um, and then you can either obviously leave that world or you can explore another world and kind of like what you end up building is this kind of like 
net of planets that kind of mesh together. It's like a web, isn't it, or something? I, I guess. But what we liked was kind of it's it's, a, it's almost like a flexible web. Yeah. So it's not like oh, I've put my planet here. I'm just going to block you, so you can't put a warp token in between. Like everything flexes which i thought was really nice and it kind of like factors in that you might not have the perfect size board but you can kind of make the play area fit what like the game that's cool but kind of like in general the combat was all right so you let you you can kind of you capture planets you colonize them you get the resources from the planet you can spend those on upgrading your ships or getting better technology um i think that ultimately the game ends in you're trying to accrue ascendancy points which i'm assuming you do through either trading with other the people or capturing planets and things like that um but the you know the components look nice there was a good finish to everything um great artwork and from what we can see they've done several different expansions for it so it's obviously quite a popular game cool um so yeah i i was i was really impressed with it um and i think it's definitely what i would call twilight imperium light for those of you that want to kind of like okay that's that's good to hear because i still i still think that if we played a three-player game of twilight imperium it would take like six hours I, i just can't see it being a short game quite possibly i i think we should we should reserve twilight imperium for those big days you know it's it's a twice yearly event that we yeah. all get together we have a few beers and we just play for 13 hours straight and then we burn out at the end of it and don't want to play again for six months i think that was that was great that day was it, it was a mark of a good day because it flew by like so you know I, I really look forward to playing that again but Star Trek Ascendancy as well is another one I really want to play like you say if it's a lighter kind of version of that in terms of you know you could fit that in within an evening or something then yeah I'm all for that so well Tom picked up Star Trek Ascendancy uh, we'll try and play that fairly soon I guess yes yes we will excellent okay and what was the final game we well say we some of our group managed to get in on Friday no not Friday yesterday yeah so the final game our group got in on at the expo was a game called Village Attacks da, 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 da. yes indeed Village Attacks created by a company called Grimlord Games who are based in the UK they've run a number of successful Kickstarters previously I believe haven't they they've done Endure the Stars which we actually got to play last year at the expo which uh, it's a mix of say it's kind of a dungeon crawler but it's like a bit like it's got some of the similar mechanics to say Space Hulk where you or, or Zombie Side where you create noise to distract the AI monsters and can kind of you know you don't necessarily know what's in a room until you can see it it might be one monster it might be three kind of thing so yeah it's really really gorgeous artwork on that one i I nearly 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 went in on the kickstarter for that but i I held off because i value my uh, testicles being attached to my body (laughs) yeah and i think we we um we we really enjoyed the demo game but i think at that point in time we'd had several kind of things on our radar that kind of distracted us enough not to make that purchase um, Mm. at last year's show but they were actually demoing another game at the show called village attacks uh last year that we didn't manage to get a demo game of but this year they were back they have run a very successful they ran a very successful kickstarter last year for it yeah um that's being fulfilled this year and i think everyone's due to get their stuff um between august and september this year potentially yeah i think that's what they said they were aiming for wasn't it I think that's when he said he, they were aiming for that kind of time period. Um, 
But what I loved about the game is you get to play as the bad guys. And you, what you, the goal of the game is effectively the villagers are attacking you. They've had enough of you. They want you out of their village. So they're, attack, they're attacking your castle. And the goal of the game is the bad guys is to def, like defend your, um, I guess, castle castle heart or your like castle like um, central objective. So like your inner sanctum kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, your your inner sanctum. That's where all your kind of like points are effectively. So he's trying to stop the damage happening to that. Um, the game so each player plays as a different type of um, bad guy so some people might be like a succubus or a vampire or the headless man um, and you survive a number of waves it's a bit like a um, it's like a reverse well, it's not really a dungeon crawler it's more of a tower defense game yeah tower defense is a good analogy I think for, for people who are uh, familiar with that kind of that kind of video game so for anyone who isn't tower defense is you you kind of you program your defenses and then waves of enemies kind of crash against them and it's just up to you to prevent them from getting to your central kind of core and, and kill you off you know and, and do damage so in, in in the broadest possible sense that probably does sum it up yeah, and I and I think the, the the value from the game comes as the ability to choose from a variety of different heroes, and they all have very unique playstyles. Monsters, you mean? <laughs> when I say heroes, your heroes, your villains, um, you choose choose the villain that you want to play as, and kind of um, I think the game runs in like a day and night cycle, so you tend to be more powerful in the night cycle than you are in the day. You tend to get beaten up more in the day and can't kill people, or there's some random luck mechanics going on within that kind of like uh, segment of the game. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's also some, um, I guess you can level up your character and get better abilities as as time goes on. Um, but it, in general, like the miniatures were fantastic, look really good on the table. A lot of character in the game, gorgeous artwork. I had mm. to look through like the the rule the hardback rule book that you had there, and they had some like lovely artwork within that as well. Yeah, and it, it just it looked really intriguing. Everyone was having loads of fun and laughing around the table, which is mm. great to see. And what I so, so we also whilst we were there, we had a chat to um, we spoke to Mike, which is one of their like founders. Yeah, company director, I believe he is, wasn't he? You said. And we were just talking a bit about the Kickstarter and what kind of what's coming to retail. Because that's one of the things that has really frustrated me over the last, I guess, couple of Kickstarters that I've seen is well, I was I was lucky enough to get on Rising Sun um, when it was a Kickstarter. Um, but like the issue that I had with the Rising Sun Kickstarter was I felt bad for everyone that had to purchase it at retail because it was missing so many of the gorgeous pieces and I felt like they were almost getting half a game from it. Yeah, you miss out on a lot if you buy the retail version of Rising Sun over the Kickstarter one. Definitely. So, um, yeah, so... But I was talking to Mike about this and from what I gather, actually, you're going to be able to purchase the majority of content through expansions anyway. There wasn't that much that was locked down to specific um, stretch goals. Okay. Or Kickstarter exclusive content. So what they did I think was roll a lot of the expansions that you can purchase into the stretch goals that you were hitting that's cool so I think if, if you if you back the core set on the Kickstarter that would include X amount of stretch goals and those stretch goals would be choose one expansion choose one expansion so I think you you've got access to that content but it's not going to preclude anyone that goes to retail of, of getting hold of it as well yeah. which I think is good because not everyone can go on every Kickstarter and it feels 
feels like we're just reaching this point now I'm getting a bit frustrated by the amount of Kickstarters that you're missing out on so much content unless you back it on Kickstarter it's that kind of fear of missing out kind of thing is what a lot of companies are using as like their hook to get people to pledge on the Kickstarter to get the funds and I think uh, uh, Simon were quite uh, guilty of that by like you know doing certain a lot of Kickstarter exclusives and they don't preclude you from playing the game but the quality of the game takes a noticeable dip when you look at a retail version of Rising Sun compared to what the Kickstarter backers got which had some really nice kind of premium components and I guess what, what one of the the biggest challenges I think we face within kind of board gaming in general and using those kind of Kickstarter platforms is you've got big companies like Simon who use it as a platform to sell more and more, but they don't really need it. Like, why why can't they just go direct to retail? They don't need to use Kickstarter. They should be, because they're big enough, using retail and letting Kickstarter be for small startup companies, which was what it was originally built for, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I've got this great idea. Can you fund me? Because I'm like two guys in a basement yeah. um, and I want to bring this project to life. Simon yeah. are like, oh, we've got all these artists. We've got all these fantastic, like, you know, they're a massive company. Yeah. Why can't they just like get the game built and then ship it out to retail? And then what they're doing is people end up backing those big games and it drowns out all of the smaller ones. Yeah, effectively, what what was a platform for smaller publishers like your Grimlord Games or other smaller publishers is basically, yeah, the bigger companies are just coming in and ousting them from that now as well. So it means that they're going to end up having to move on to other ways to fund or, or fold ultimately, which is a bit of a pain. Yeah, yes, indeed it is. Um, but but let's let's get back to... Uh, so we'll finish up on village attacks. So yes, yeah. I think in general, everyone that played the game that we spoke to um, had a fantastic time. And I believe that, like even Darren walked away, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to consider this game when it comes out at retail. I think we're both interested as well. Yeah, definitely. I really want to play it. And, you know, looking at, uh, you know, we, we got past a couple of the uh, monsters from it, which Mike was kind enough to let us have a look at. And they are absolutely stunning in their detail. Like the, the casting on them is, is amazing. And just the design of them, you know, some of the monsters are kind of uh, monsters that you would have heard of. So they already kind of exist in popular culture, but their spin on them is is fantastic. And the, the casting quality is great. They look really, really good. And just that alone can sell me a game. It has in the past. I've, I've Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you are definitely miniatures guy aren't you i've bought games based on the models even if the yeah even if the rules were crap but i mean by all accounts the rules in this are very good as well so i'm i'm interested to see where it goes you know i think we've missed out on the kickstarter now but i mean if it's coming to retail later this year then by all means color me interested i think i would probably pick it up yeah yeah definitely and i think it'd be great to play that game when it comes out uh, towards the end of this year now mike did give us a couple of promo miniatures as well so i'm sure you'll see those appearing on our instagram and facebook channels um, over the next uh, month or so uh, once lee gets his uh, painting claws on them dug in indeed indeed yeah very 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 grateful to mike for for passing us those because uh, i'm looking forward to giving those a, a good paint job um so even before we get um obviously the the ability to buy the game i think they'll be showing up in a couple of fantasy uh, role plays that we're going to be doing over the next couple of months anyway indeed indeed yeah double use hey, you have to figure out how to work in some kind of like giant werewolf <laughs> that's not going to be hard let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> um and i guess the final thing to say is they do actually have another kickstarter coming out um, do, towards indeed. the end of this year yes. what's it called ever rain it's i believe it. yes it is called ever rain hopefully we're pronouncing that right I didn't actually ask Mike how you pronounce it but I'm, I'm, I'm pronouncing it how it's spelt let me just let me just have a quick look back through my photos I did take a photo of the box I think there's a subtitle to it 
Oh, it's called The Ever Rain. The Ever Rain. A game by Adam Smith. Um, so, but what I liked about it, so they had a bunch of prototype um, components there and kind of, they were just explaining the kind of some of the basic core mechanics of the game that seemed really interesting. So you've got kind of like a high level map of your... So, you, so the game's based on a world where it's been constantly raining for like six or seven years, I think he said. Um, so the whole world, well, the majority of the world's pretty much flooded. You're all on these kind of pirate ships and floating about and you're kind of doing piratey stuff, um, fighting big monsters and kind of uh, looting for treasure. You've got this one map that like tracks your ship movement around the around the kind of play area, but then you've also got these kind of individual ships that your um, your crew are going to be on, and you can there's it almost seems like a bit of micromanagement, deck management, like where my characters are going to be, what they've got access to, what weapons they're manning, are they bailing out the ship or are they kind of like firing the weapons? So it all seems really good. No, they they didn't have too much detail about it there today because it's still in prototype, um, but color me interested. I mean, some of the prototype miniatures they had were were fantastic oh yeah they're stunning the the, the studio they've got to paint their production uh, sorry they're, they're, you know, the display models look they are fantastic and yeah again some of the prototype models they have there on display that were unpainted look absolutely stunning i have no idea if i could ever do them justice with a paint job but they look incredible I, I quite like I think one thing I, I quite like about the look of it is you've you've got the kind of you've got your mini map with your ship on it that moves around and then yeah you like you say you've got your kind of slightly more detailed management of your crew on the ship which I, I don't know how detailed it's going to be whether it's going to be sort of miniature war gamey style people boarding other ships who you then have to fend off or whether it's like worker placement almost in terms of right you need to yeah bail out the ship like you said or raise the sails or you know be in the crow's nest and things like that so I quite like that that, that does sound quite interesting you know it's it's got all the what I would say the hallmarks of a game that would interest me I think well I'm making an assumption here but I mean looking at the models they look cool enough <laughs> that's sometimes enough for me yeah and I think you know it'd be interesting to see where they go with it where they take it I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit more about that as well so um, yeah no like I was really impressed by the miniatures um, and kind of the kind of core design of the, the kind of the concept of that game um, so yeah I'd be really interested to see where they take that and, and I will definitely be watching Kickstarter to see what comes out as part of the campaign cool stuff so that was pretty much our expo wasn't it other than we we, we scooted off quickly to the final thing we did you and I was to go and watch Sharp and Sit Down's live recording of uh, another podcast episode which was good fun uh, you know I've I've been a fan of theirs for you know about 18 months or so now and I, I really enjoy the content they put out you know yeah and I, and I think between us I think we've both been inspired by the kind of content that they produce and kind of like how they engage their audience and kind of made us kind of start this channel really wasn't it yeah I mean I think after we we saw them last year and we were like you know what podcasting looks like a lot of fun like you know I don't ever say I don't ever think we'd ever be as big as they are but it's quite fun just to put content out there and for people to consume it you know in any way shape and form so you know maybe we'll look at YouTube in the future who knows who knows I don't want to make a rod for our own back just yet <laughs> it's definitely something we, we, we've been considering because you know it means I have to put pants on when I do the uh, podcast lately or all <laughs> the vlogs yeah I mean if I'm honest I, I, I kind of I kind of figure we should just do YouTube just so you will put some pants on <laughs> I don't know where to take that one so but we're, you know we both enjoyed ourselves um, at the seminar it was good massive massive crowd as well I, I think yeah huge about three full, full to capacity and I'm sure I saw somewhere the capacity in that room's about 350 so there were probably a few disappointed faces who couldn't get into that room i think 
Yeah, definitely. And I think they they did a good job in covering several games that they played over the course of the weekend. Mm, some that we're going to look up, isn't it, as well, after after hearing about them? Yeah, what was the, the most intriguing one, actually, was the um, Destination X, I think it was. That I, That's the one, yeah. I thought it sounded really great. So Destination X is kind of a, a spy subterfuge game when you're you're basically hiding in a hiding in a location like a, a city around the world for, I, I think is what they were saying or a country I think it was a country yeah country around the world and other players had to ask you a, like from a deck of cards like a set of questions that they have to try and understand information about where you might be and try and figure out where you, where you are yeah you're, you're in one of like six possible countries isn't it and then you know you choose in secret i think you've got like 16 questions and you've got to find three three locations or something over the course of the game something like that yeah but the guys sounded like they were like had a barrel of laughs when they were playing it so uh yeah and it definitely feels like it's simple enough that we can bring out a party and everyone would have fun Cool. Was there anything we saw at the expo that we didn't play that you would kind of like the look of at all? Mm, Interesting question. Um, What did I? What did I see at the expo that I didn't have chance to play? That you you maybe would have liked to. I mean, Twilight Imperium was there, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I mean, any excuse, right? Yeah. But uh, no, I think I pretty much got to play everything that I wanted to at the at the show. Um, There's always the issue where you walk around some of the stands are so busy that you don't have the opportunity to get up close and personal with some of those games because you know even listening to shut up and sit down like they covered a lot of stuff there where i'm a bit gutted that we missed out like there was there was one they talked about about the the data cubes oh that was one that was in prototype wasn't it what was it called quantified that's it quantified yeah um and that sounded really interesting and Mm. i didn't really get a feel for where that was in the show floor at all i think they said it was up in the sort of uh this this what i call the second hall you know the kind of overspill area before you hit all the tournament stuff i think there were a lot of in progress type of uh games up there with studios showing off a few like prototype kind of games i think that's where they found that so maybe that maybe that's a failing on our part is to not have gone in and actually talked to more people we just kind of looked and if, if there was nothing there to grab us we kind of moved on maybe we should have actually spoken to a few yeah, and I think well, part of the issue as well is it's on that second floor, so there's a lot of through traffic between the bring and buy, the tournament hall, and the main trade area. Very, very true. So it's it's it's, it's very busy up there. So trying to actually sit down and kind of get some quality time at some of the stands felt, felt a bit challenging at times. Yeah, yeah, true. So what about yourself? Is there anything that we kind of missed out uh, that you wanted to try? Uh, yeah, without I won't dwell too long because we're running long here. Um, obviously, Star Wars Legion was the big one. That's the one that Fantasy Flight had probably the most space dedicated to on their uh, show floor. No more Star Wars lead. No more. <laughs> exactly. I can, I can hear all of our friends in our gaming group screaming at me to put the Star Wars down. I think I can hear your wife crying as well. <laughs> quite possibly i i resisted playing that because one i'm getting a demo of it fairly soon anyway from a friend who's bought it already and also i just know that if i if i'd played it there i probably would have ended up buying that instead of say adrenaline or something so i just i thought no i'm gonna i'm gonna move away i'll let someone else play it you know i'm gonna be playing it in a couple of weeks it's fine um the other one was carnivale which uh, a friend of ours has gone in on the kickstarter for a couple of friends of ours in fact and the terrain that tt combat was showing off there with like like hardened resin water effects on the canals looked looked phenomenal and the models look really good it's a sort of a game set in renaissance italy and uh is it fantasy style i don't know i don't know a great deal about it but it looks quite intriguing anyway it's got that kind of like i wouldn't say steampunk but it's kind of got that spin on it it's that almost what i call like weird punk fantasy yeah yeah wood wood punk maybe is it because they haven't 
quite got steam at that point. Yeah, it, it looks quite interesting. Anyway, I'm, I I didn't get a chance to play it, but you know, I'm sure I will fairly soon. Uh, we saw the GCT Studios were there with uh, Bushido, which is something that we've all, I think, nearly all of us in our group have got a starter faction for, and we never really played it that much. We had a couple of demos, but I think at the time we were all very focused on Infinity, so we never really grasped it and carried on. So that's one with some of the newer models that they're putting out. It looks phenomenal, and I think we should maybe revisit that at some point. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think what what's nice about it, you can play on like a two by two table, so it like uses next to no space. Nice and small, yeah. So there was another manufacturer there called Parabellum, I believe. Uh, yes, you are correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. And they had some absolutely stunning fantasy, uh, fantasy looking models there, and like they had a big old display of of like a sort of castle siege and. Their their new game is called Conquest of Something. I'm just trying to look it up now. Conquest, the last argument of kings. Oh, there you go. And it was a, what, 36... It looked like about 36 mil miniatures, 35, 36. Yeah, they were really, really big scale, 32 at least. And, I mean, the, the paint jobs on them were phenomenal, but, I mean, the, the models themselves looked great. It's, I'm not normally a fantasy fan. I don't, I don't see myself ever buying it, but I would have given that a go had we had the opportunity, I think. And then the, I think finally was uh, Photosynthesis. That's one that we've heard a lot about collectively among our group. And uh, one of the guys with us, Tom, he was really keen to pick it up or at least get a demo of it first. But didn't happen, unfortunately, because we, we couldn't find a copy that wasn't being played and demoed. So that's one that I'd like to try out at some point. So hopefully one of us will get a copy of that. I mean, ultimately, there's way too much at the show for us to list everything off that we probably would love to buy because that that list goes on forever. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really encouraging to see what an inclusive kind of hobby tabletop gaming is. You know, we've been, over the years, I've noticed the trend has changed a lot. Like back in, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when we used to help run like you know the local war game show or go to other war game shows around the area the the kind of age and gender of the uh attendees attendees that's the word yeah <laughs> the age and gender of them was very much towards the sort of middle-aged man kind of scale whereas now it's there were families there yesterday there were you know it, it was a huge mix it, it it could have been if you were to photoshop a, a picture of that uh, take a picture and photoshop out all of the trade stand labels you'd be hard pressed to tell what kind of show this was you know you, you, it, it's really really encouraging i think it's good to see that you know it's it's an inclusive hobby rather than an exclusive one or one that is sort of segmented yeah yeah i definitely agree like i'm i was surprised that you know how much diversity of uh, attendees there were this year rather than you know five years ago where we go to a war game show like you say it's almost like middle-aged white male <laughs> um slightly on the uh, uh portly side i would say but, uh, <laughs> but you know but um yeah this year while well, looking at kind of the the tabletop hobby now so board games card games inclusive we're getting a much better mix uh, and diversity within the the attendees which is great mm. Mm, definitely definitely that's the ice cream truck oh, the ice just cream. That, that's signaling the end of the show i think okay let, let's get on with the outro then shall we Okay, so that was our wrap-up episode of the UK Games Expo. I think you'll agree that we had a good time and we can't wait to go out next year. So with that, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Uh, Don't forget you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes and all your other kind of podcast players. You can find our RSS feed on our SoundCloud page, which is 
soundcloud.com forward slash average gamers podcast you can also find us on instagram the average gamers or one word facebook which is facebook.com forward slash average gamers podcast we're on twitter at average underscore gamers and you can email us on averagegamerspod at gmail.com so thanks again for listening and say goodbye adam goodbye bye bye What did I have for lunch? Oh, nobody cares what you have for lunch. All right.